Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You have to be the consistent party because it is your boundary. And that is really hard for the person having to implement that boundary. And with boundaries with difficult people, know that you cannot change them. But as I listed uh, there in the book, there are a lot of things you can change about the way that you deal with them. You're listening to Nedra Twab on Psychologists Off the Clock. We are four clinical psychologists here to bring you cutting edge and science-based ideas from psychology to help you flourish in your relationships, work, and health. I'm Dr. Debbie Sorensen, practicing in Mile High, Denver, Colorado. I'm Dr. Diana Hill, practicing in Seaside, Santa Barbara, California. From coast to coast, I'm Dr. Yael Schoenbrunn, a Boston-based clinical psychologist and assistant professor at Brown University. And from sunny San Diego, I'm Dr. Jill Stoddard, author of Be Mighty and the Big Book of Act Metaphors. We hope you take what you learn here to build a rich and meaningful life. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. Hey, this is Diana here. I want to let you know about a workshop I have coming up through Insight LA. It's an introduction to ACT, Growing Psychological Flexibility in Your Life. And it's February 28th from 2 to 5 Pacific Standard Time. We'll be going through the six core processes of ACT and applying them to your daily life. So check it out on my website at drdianahill.com under the events page. Psychologists Off the Clock is happy to be sponsored by Praxis Continuing Education. They offer multiple formats of high-quality training, including live online courses, free webinars, and on-demand courses. Praxis gets some of the best names in the field, people who do really amazing trainings, and you can do them so easily from home right now. I know I've really enjoyed some of the trainings that I've done in the past, and there's some great ones on the lineup coming up. Yeah, just looking at the lineup, well, you can always do act immersion with Steve Hayes. That's fantastic. If you want to take a deep dive into acceptance and commitment therapy, I was also excited to see Dennis Church and Norbert Silverstein doing a Foundations of Compassion Focused Therapy course for those that want to learn more about CFT. Yeah, you'll see some of our old podcast guests that we've had on the show doing praxis training. So check it out. And you'll want to go through our website, offtheclockpsych.com to register because you can get a $25 off discount code for live training events. So check out our sponsorship page for Praxis Continuing Education and enjoy your online learning. Hi, this is Diana here with Jill. And today we have Nedra Twab on the show, and we're talking all about boundaries. And I had a great conversation with her. We covered so many things, everything from how to set boundaries when you feel really guilty, what to do in terms of boundaries with narcissists or in toxic relationships, how our kids teach us about boundary setting, and even how we can set boundaries with our own parents. I'm curious, Jill, what was it like for you to listen to Nedra on boundaries? Well, I loved this episode. It was chock full of so many things, even boundaries with technology, which is something that I wouldn't have necessarily thought about, which was something you asked her. 
about. And the whole time I kept thinking, I need a Nedra to like come sit on my shoulder and walk around with me and like be my cheerleader for trying to set boundaries with people. She's so good. Um, and she even talks about what language to use when you're setting boundaries, which I found particularly helpful. Um, and when she was talking about narcissism, it made me think back to our episode on narcissism, episode 98 with Robin Walser and Abigail Lev, where they really were talking about the ultimate boundary, which is either cutting off a relationship if that's possible, or what they called gray rocking, which is being as uninteresting as possible. Like try to do whatever you can to not push this person's buttons. And I was thinking, oh, you know, those are examples of drawing really strong boundaries made me think of that. Yeah. When I talked to Nedra about narcissists or even talked about toxic relationships, she said, sometimes you need to just stay in the relationship and you can put a smile on and and still have a limit without engaging with that person. So sometimes boundaries can be as strict as I'm not going to engage because any amount of engagement with you is so toxic to me or gets me all entangled back into the mess that we're in. Or sometimes boundaries can be just really healthy, soft, kind ones. Like when she was talking about her morning routine, I really related to that of carving out this special time for myself. I do that religiously in the morning. It's my time. And it feels like the kindest thing that I can do for myself. So ultimately, setting boundaries ourselves, setting boundaries with other people is a way to keep us safe in the world. Yeah. And there was such a wide range of what a boundary can look like. And I loved that she even talked about ultimatums. And I think I've always had in my mind, like ultimatums are bad. You should never give someone an ultimatum, but she really kind of reframed that in a way that was, you know, ultimatums are actually another form of a boundary where you're saying I need or expect this in this amount of time. And if that doesn't happen, this consequence will occur. And then, you know, you have to follow through with your consequences, whether it's in a relationship or with your children. And I thought, oh, that that's a, that's a much nicer way of thinking about ultimatums because I think of boundaries as being healthy and helpful. Well, I think you play that role sometimes, Jill, on our podcast group. So like behind the scenes, Jill is the one that's saying, okay, by Friday, February 27th, you need to have <laughs> this done. <laughs> I actually think you're an example of a really good boundary setter in a, you do it in a relational way that makes us feel like we're we're going to get somewhere because we have these boundaries in place. And when we don't have these boundaries in place, we just sort of all, you know, it, it gets really messy. So boundaries actually can also make us feel safer around another person when they have clear boundaries, whether it's in the workplace or the home environment. Yeah. Well, thank you for saying that. I don't know if my, I don't know if my children would agree, but she also even talked about how having boundaries with kids, even if they don't like it and they kind of rebel against it, like, of course they want to eat candy every minute of every day, but us providing those boundaries, even when they don't like it is what makes them feel safe. Like it's really necessary for them to, to have those. I work a lot with people in their twenties and thirties and they talk about how they wish their parents had healthier boundaries with them. They actually craved that as a kid. A kid's never going to say, put this boundary up for me, mom, but they actually do want it. And it it lends to a feeling of security and safety. Yeah, for sure. Create some predictability. Well, I hope you like this episode as much as we did. And you can also check out Nedra's new book, which is Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Nedra Glover-Tawab is a licensed therapist and sought-after relationship expert. 
who has practiced relationship therapy for 12 years and is the founder and owner of the group therapy practice, Kaleidoscope Counseling. She has been recently featured in the New York Times, The Guardian, Psychology Today, Self and Vice, and has appeared on numerous podcasts, including Don't Keep Your Day Job, Do the Thing, and Therapy for Black Girls. Nedra Tawab runs a popular Instagram account, which if you haven't checked it out, go check it out. It's just full of resources where she shares practices, tools, and reflections for mental health and hosts weekly Q&As about boundaries and relationships. She lives in Charlotte, North Carolina with her family, and you can connect with her on Instagram at Nedra Tawab, which is N-E-D-R-A-T-A-W-W-A-B. I'm so excited to talk with her today because we're going to be talking about her upcoming book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, which beyond being beautiful is incredibly full of rich information that you're not going to want to miss. So welcome, Nedra. It's so great to meet you in person. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited for this conversation. I'm really excited to unpack boundaries with you today. I'd love for us just to start with the role that boundaries play in our mental health, because one of the things that I've been noticing as I've been reading your book is through the lens of boundaries, when I'm using that with clients, everything seems to show up. Like anxiety can be a result of poor boundaries. Uh, Resentment can be a result of poor boundaries. So can you talk a little bit about what boundaries are and the role that they play in mental health? Yeah. So boundaries are parameters that we set for ourselves in our relationships with others. They are our expectations, our needs, our desires, and the things that make us feel safe. Boundaries are both verbal and they are actions that we take. Um, In a therapeutic setting early on, I started to notice there was this common theme of issues And the underlying issue was boundaries with work-life balance, with anxiety, with depression, with um, issues in, in marriages, with friendships. And when I would ask some of my clients, you know, have you tried, you know, asking this person to maybe not call you at this time? Or have you tried, you know, maybe not taking on anything else if you can't handle it? It was just like this, oh, really? I can do that. It's like, yeah, like that's a boundary. And it, it, it really helped with the anxiety, the depression, the issues in marital relationships, long-term relationships, dating, friendships, all of those things, because So often we think we have these issues with people and people come to therapy and they're like, here are all my issues with other people. How do I get them to change? And it's like, whoa, I do not have that power, but let's talk about what you can do as a person who is in this space with me to shift some things in your life and in your relationships. And so helping them with boundaries has been really um, beneficial for them. And a lot of times I don't even use the word boundaries. Like I'm not like, it's funny because now that I'm on Instagram, my clients have started to use the word. I'm like, you must follow me. <laughs> I'm not like go and do this boundary, you know, but because of my work in these other spaces, they're getting this language. But lots of times it's just us having these conversations and very naturally saying, um, I wonder how you could 
practice maybe telling them what you need, which is a boundary, um, and, and using that as a way to minimize some of that anxiety. So next time you're not so frustrated with the interaction. You're not so anxious about how things might go because you're practicing um, thing with this, this lens of it's okay to have boundaries. It's so uh, interesting how you, how you say that setting boundaries is actually going to set you free, right? It's going to reduce your anxiety in the long term. It's going to benefit your relationships, but it's actually high levels of anxiety that sometimes prevents people from setting boundaries in the first place. So can we talk a little bit before we talk about how to set a boundary, what are some of the barriers for people to actually try this out? Like, what do you notice most in your practice and in your work in this area? Jumping to the worst case scenario, that is the number one go-to. If I say this to them, then they will say this. And they have, you know, most people have this whole narrative around how people will respond to a boundary, what they will say. And it's it's really not based on anything. It's, it's not based on past experience with this person. It is really just based on the worst thing that can happen. And so with anxiety, we have to talk about, is this a real thing or is this like a 1% chance of happening? Let's think about this. Tell me about a time when you ask someone, um, hey, can you turn down your music a a little bit? And they yelled at you. Like, never. That hasn't happened to you. So that's not a real thing. But it's a huge fear that if you say this thing, oh my gosh, they're gonna gonna yell at me. And it's like, well, has the person ever yelled at you about anything? And if so, what was that thing? What was your delivery? Because sometimes, you know, maybe you have had this experience in trying to advocate for yourself and they push back. But in most cases, we haven't. And we're just afraid of the unknown. We fear that the worst case scenario is true. And instead of taking any action with anxiety, it's just a continuous thought in your head of the what if, the the worst thing that could happen if you were to, you know, maybe set this boundary. One of the things that you talked about in your book that resonated very deeply with me in terms of my struggles with boundary setting is guilt. And uh, you you also say that's also a very common experience that people are afraid that they're going to feel guilty or how do you get rid of the guilt associated with setting boundaries, especially if it's setting boundaries with a loved one or a friend. What's your response to that? Guilt is a part of the process. And I know that's really hard to hear, but until you get really comfortable with telling people boundaries because of our programming, you might feel a little bit guilty. We have been, some of us, we've been raised in situations where guilt was used as a discipline tool or guilt was used as a way to manipulate you. And so Yeah. So people, you know, they may say things and you might feel really bad about, you know, hurting this family member. But the best way to to deal with the guilt is to consider all the ways in which this other person has boundaries with you, because very likely they do. Um, And use that as motivation and accept that it's okay to have boundaries. This person has boundaries. And you're, you know, you're wrecking your brain. Like, how do I say this to them? And they've said tons of things to you. They violated boundaries they didn't even know about. So it's it's okay to say to them this, you know, maybe this one thing or these two things that that you need because 
it's an acceptable piece of a relationship and boundaries does not ruin relationships typically, but a lack of boundaries absolutely will. Mm, Absolutely. I love guilt is part of the process. It's sort of like asking someone to set their alarm early and not feel tired when when you wake up. It's like, yeah, you're going to feel tired until you get used to waking up earlier. So I love that. It's it's opening up and allowing for the guilt because the long-term benefit is so huge. I wanted to read a little section of your book that stood out to me because you have this way, you really model clear communication in the way that you write, whether it's on Instagram or in your book, like bullet point to the point, not a lot of explaining and hits you really um, at a deep level. So you wrote, You cannot change people, but you can change how you deal with them, what you accept, how you react to them, how often you interact with them, how much space you allow them to take up, what you participate in, what role they play in your life, what people you have contact with, who you allow in your life and your perspective. Mm -hmm. I love that process of really turning the, the, the tables back on the individual in terms of what can, what can you change when you're stuck in a difficult relationship? So can we talk about boundaries in terms of maybe toxic relationships or difficult relationships? How do you set those boundaries when you know that other person is not going to change? Consistency. So the biggest thing with, with difficult relationships and setting boundaries is being consistent. Because the moment that you let up, they will drop. They will drop it. <laughs> they will drop it every single time. So if you really want um, a difficult uh, person or this difficult interaction to subside, you have to be consistent. And that's the really hard part because many of us want to set the boundary and forget it. We just want to say, this is what I need and I don't ever want to say it again. You got it. Do it forever. And it's it's not likely sometimes, especially when people are questioning your boundaries, they're trying to move you away from them, they're being resistant to it. You have to be the consistent party because it is your boundary. And that is really hard for the person having to implement that boundary. And with boundaries with difficult people, know that you cannot change them. But as I listed um, there in the book, there are a lot of things you can change about the way that you deal with them. You can't change them. There's nothing you can do about somebody else's behavior. You can make a request. You can hope that it is an honor, but you cannot make them any do anything. So if they are unwilling to change, what will you do if you want to continue to engage with them? Do you want to continue to engage with a person who has problematic behaviors that they're unwilling to change? Those are all choices that you'll have to make in this boundary setting process with difficult people. We've had a number of guests on the show that we've been inspired by and that are offering you, our listeners, discounts on their programs. If you go to our website, offtheclockpsych.com, You'll be able to find coupon codes for the programs of Dr. Judson Brewer, Dr. Rick Hansen, and Jen Lumenlen. So go check it out at offtheclockpsych.com and start learning today. One of the things that we did is set out a, um, a question to listeners, which, which should I ask, Nedra? And one of the, the questions that came back had to do with difficult relationships that you have to maintain. So for example, your co-parenting with your ex and you can't stand them. 
but you need to keep this relationship going in the service of your kids. How do you respond in situations like that? Or maybe you're in a, a work situation that's toxic, but you really want to stay at work because it has other benefits for you. So in situations where we absolutely have to be there, I think we would teach ourselves or relearn what we were probably taught as kids. You don't have to say everything you think. You can feel it, but you don't have to say it. You don't even have to behave as if you dislike someone, particularly with a co-parent. Sometimes the best thing to do is to be kind. So you are seen being kind with your kids. Your kids see it like, wow, he's mean to her, but she's always nice. You know, like you want to be the kind party in these interactions. Because you don't want it to be like, they're mean to me and I'm mean to them. Your energy is not determined by anyone else's energy. You determine your energy. So I know that my ex has something going on. They're mad at me for leaving. They're mad that, you know, maybe in a situation they don't like, whatever that is. That has nothing to do with me. The bigger thing here is my children. And for my children, I am willing to survive the encounter with my ex of this pass off or, you know, having to be in the same space because it is 20 minutes out of my day and I have a ton of other hours to really get into what I want to do. But right now for my kids, I can do this for my job. I can smile when my boss walks by. Um, I can. And it's, it's, I don't think of it as a fake it until you make it, but it's about energy to me. Like how much energy do I want to give to this person who is uncommon that I have to have a relationship with? I don't want them to um, have all of my, my, my good energy and just, you know, steal parts of my day. I would rather say, you know, this is a small piece of my time of having to interact with this person, you know, 10, 10, 15 minutes max. Um, and I will treat it as that. This is a small amount of time and we won't like everybody. We won't. And that's okay. And when we do not, do we do we treat them like we don't? Or do we say, this is a person I do not like, but I can still be kind to this person? The word energy. I heard you write about that when you were talking about your own personal boundaries in terms of uh, being able to choose where you put your energy and putting boundaries around your energy. And you devote a whole chapter to boundaries with ourselves. And I was thinking about the pandemic right now and energy and how it's dispersed in lots of different places and some places we don't want it to be going. And uh, we have our boundaries are all kind of mixed up in our homes. How do you set boundaries with yourself when it comes to your personal energy? And, and maybe you can even just talk about that in the context of the pandemic that I think a lot of people are struggling with. Mm. One boundary I have been religious about is Monday through Friday, I wake up at 5 a.m. And that is before my kids. Um, and I just take about an hour or so to really sit with myself because what I realize is I do better when I have that time to myself in the morning. When I am, you know, getting out of bed, like doing stuff and giving energy to other people, I'm hopping right into work. That does not work well for me. So as energetic protection, doing what's best is waking up it's early 
Um, and like you said, you have to, you know, you have to get into it. But that is the time that I feel that I have to myself to kind of gather myself to practice some of my morning routine and then be able to pour into people. Now, for some folks who aren't morning people, maybe they could stay up later. I'm not a fan of staying up late. Um uh, but sometimes you could do that in the evening. It really just depends on, you know, your sleep schedule. But in being at home, we have to find time to just be with ourselves. And sometimes that looks like turning your ringer off. It looks like letting the other people in your house know, hey, I'm going to go to my room for a little bit with a book. Please do not disturb me. Um, sometimes it looks like watching a TV show by yourself or doing it with family. So you have to figure out what's working and not working for your energy as we are at home in this pandemic. And, you know, it may shift. It may be, you know, this month you need to, to do this to feel better. And the next month it may be something different. So really paying attention to those areas that drain you, those areas where you're feeling resentment those areas where you're being angry and frustrated, those are very um, clear indicators that some boundaries are needed in those areas. So follow the energy wherever you're like, ah, it's like, okay, something needs to happen there. You're not screaming for no reason before, you know, if someone texts you and you have to say, oh, what is that? <laughs> like, don't just make that noise and answer the phone. Make that noise and think about that. Like, do I want to answer the phone for, uh, you know, like there is something about that connection that I'm not feeling good about. What is that? Is there a conversation that we need to have? Is there a time of day I need to talk to this person? Is there a length of time that I need to tap out at? Like, what is that? Follow the energy. Yeah, it's a real embodied state of checking in what your body is saying and using mm -hmm. that as as the guide as opposed to maybe what your head says about I got to get back to them or I don't want to get up in the morning because it's too hard, but really looking deeper at what is your body saying about what you need. And uh, I've spent a lot of years working with individuals with eating disorders. And one of the things, one of the themes that I see in individuals struggling with eating disorders is they set boundaries through their relationships with food. So it's like, I, I need to set a boundary with my parents. So I'm not going to eat at the meal, or I need to set a physical boundary around my body, a sexual boundary. So I'm just going to eat a lot and keep the person out that way. And I'm wondering what, what you see in your practice in terms of ways in which people inadvertently are setting boundaries, but aren't direct, but then are quite harmful to them. I and mean, I know eating is one of them, but I'm sure it happens in a lot of different domains. Yeah. So, you know, that kind of goes over to like rigid boundaries where you have these very clear rules about things. And sometimes those rules are not necessarily healthy rules for you. We want to have boundaries that fit the situation that are well thought out and healthy because every boundary is not a good boundary. Some boundaries are actually um, counterproductive to the life that you want to live. So definitely evaluating your boundaries. Is this helpful for me? Because unhealthy, you know, eating rules, that's not necessarily a healthy boundary. But I, I think it's a wonderful example of being able to set boundaries because I've had those sort of clients where they say, I don't have any boundaries. And then they tell me these scenarios where they do have boundaries. I'm like, you do have boundaries. You just have boundaries that are not working um, to give you what you want. So let's talk about some, some boundaries that will actually be helpful because restricting your food is not 
the healthy boundary, but perhaps eating, you know, maybe in a more intuitive way could be a healthier boundary for you. So really thinking about um, some of the ways they're already doing it and, and, not affirming that, yay, you can set boundaries, but yay, you have the ability to set a boundary. So how do we get you to do that in other areas? Like it's already in you. So now you can't say, I can't set boundaries. Here is proof. You're already doing it. So I love it when people bring up these things about, um, well, I don't let anybody eat in my car, but I'm having boundary issues in my, you know, my friendship. I'm like, do you have a very clear boundary about your car? (laughs) <laughs> so you were talking about that boundary. My kids cannot eat them. You know, like people will have it is like, oh, so you have a very clear boundary here. How about we take that energy and we put it over here towards this friend who keeps talking to you about her boyfriend? <laughs> like, how do we set a clear boundary there? Because you are excellent at setting boundaries when you want to. Why are you feeling like you can't in this situation? Let's talk a little bit about the languaging of boundaries. What does a clear boundary sound like if someone is setting it? I really like, I want, I need, um, I desire, it would be helpful. Um, No. (laughs) All of those are really beautiful ways to get started with setting boundaries, Um, Some people have said, oh, I I would like to say please in the beginning. And, you know, maybe please um, help me with the dishes. Yes. Uh, But you're still saying I need help with the dishes. But if adding please is helpful, do that. Uh, But just really putting that request out there. And when you put it out there, what's really good is to give somebody an idea of what you want. It is not very helpful to say to someone, I don't like that you don't help me. What are they supposed to do? <laughs> oh, can we give them a, a, a action? So I need help with. Um, I would like it if, but not just saying like problem. Because the problem, sometimes people really don't know the solution. You give people a problem and they're like, I thought I was doing what would be helpful. I thought I was, you know, helping you out. If you know what you need, tell people. And if you don't, maybe you could discover it together. But if you know, share that information so people aren't doing these things that you don't even want. Or that you're resentful that they're not reading your mind accurately, which I think shows up a lot in like couple relationships that they should know what you want your household to to be like or that, that. being really direct and clear, I think for a lot of people, they, they fear that because they fear that it sounds mean or it sounds aggressive. And what you're really talking about here is the difference between assertiveness, aggressiveness, and passivity. Can you outline mm-hmm. sort of what those, like what the subtle difference is, how you know if you're being assertive? Or assertive is clearly stating what you need in a direct way. Being passive is having a need and not verbalizing what that need is. Being passive aggressive is typically having a need, knowing that you have a need and acting out in a way uh, that could be, gosh, that could be seen as being angry, um, sabotaging, or trying to be harmful to the other person. So um, I'm really upset at you. I won't tell you I'm upset, but I won't talk to you for two days. 
So having those behaviors and not really saying that you you feel a way about something, denying it, but feeling it and knowing that you feel it. And then aggressive is um, being really pushy about what your need is, you know, yelling, screaming, telling people off, um, forcing them to do something. I find that when we are new to setting limits with other people, one of the things that happens is we go from passive to aggressive. And it's because we've gotten to this place of like, I am so frustrated with people taking advantage of me that and it's like, okay, no, <laughs> no. So please don't do that. Please gently say to this person, this is what I need because we can go too far in our attempt to set limits with other people. And again, they had no clue, especially when you've been allowing something to occur for a long length of time, which we typically do for 14 years. We'll let somebody take advantage of us. And then one day we wake up and we're like, hey, you can't do this thing anymore. And they're like, what? I've been doing this for 14 years. What do you mean? And so we're like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended. And it's like, yeah, so this is new to them. Like, this is new. This is something that has been okay. So there is going to be a process of them learning this new thing about you. Allow them to the time to really digest this information. Don't immediately get upset that they aren't on the same page as you because they didn't know. This is a shock to them. This is something you've been thinking about for some time, but they have not thought about this. Over the holidays, when I was reading your book, my mom came over and we got into a heated conversation about the holidays and I whipped out your book and said, I'm setting boundaries. <laughs> and it was that example of like going over the edge into now I'm the, the boundary queen and in the rigidity of boundaries because I had been passive in this area. And mm-hmm. so it's finding that that middle path that is assertive and clear and kind, but also holds the limit up. One of the other listener questioners that we had was uh, one of the one of the other questions that we had from listeners was about narcissist. I'm sorry you get this question all the time, but how do you set boundaries with a narcissist? With narcissists, the real boundary setting happens with yourself because these are folks who um they will work to sabotage (laughs) your boundaries, right? Um, That's a part of that uh, dynamic of being a narcissist. So the boundaries with them is really with yourself. It goes back to you cannot change people. And I know sometimes when people are narcissistic, they have very difficult behaviors. And so we're constantly like, I'm going to try to get them to do this thing. or I'm going to try to get them to do that thing. And really, they don't want to do any of the things because it's not a problem for them. It's a problem for you. And as a part of being narcissistic, they are not thinking about you as much as you are thinking about you. And so... You need to figure out how to be in this relationship with this person in a very boundaried way if you're going to continue to do that. And that goes to uh, maybe there are certain time frames, parameters you need to, you know, maybe speak to this person or rules of engagement, but you cannot treat a relationship with someone who is narcissistic as you would with someone who is not. Because some of the things just clinically, they will not be able to understand and digest in in the way that you need them to. It's not personal. 
Uh, they are not seeking to harm you necessarily, uh, but it is just something that is a byproduct of them being self-absorbed. One of the things that you talk about in the book that I was actually really curious how you were going to respond uh, is about ultimatums. And you hear different things in therapy, like never set an ultimatum or you need to set an ultimatum. You need to, you know, but you had a, an interesting take on ultimatums. Can you talk a little bit about setting ultimatums with people? Yes. I don't think that ultimatums are a bad thing. I don't. I think they are a bad thing when we are using them to trick people. If we say, if you don't, if you don't do this tomorrow by five, I'm going to do so-and-so. And then we don't do so-and-so. It's like, we didn't use an ultimatum. We use trickery. Um, if you really want to have a good ultimatum, you have to be willing to stick to it. So I'm going to give you 30 days to do X, Y, and Z. And at the end of that time, this is going to be my firm boundary. I will not be able to loan you money anymore for your bills. So at the end of 30 days, you have to have this thing together. And guess what? If they do it or if they don't, your rule is the same. <laughs> like you won't help them and you're you're not doing it to hurt them, but to to show them that you want them to be self-sufficient. And a part of them being self-sufficient is learning how to lean more on their re other resources to gather resources on their own without the support of you. So if you set that ultimatum, you really have to stick with it. It's not a bad thing, but I think the challenge with ultimatums is we go back and forth and then we're upset at this other person. I'm like, I gave them an ultimatum and they didn't listen to it. And it's like, yeah, well, you didn't stick to your ultimatum. Was it really an ultimatum or was it a way to try to encourage them to change this behavior because lots of if, if you stick with it a lot of times people will they'll get on board like oh wow she's not playing anymore but if you if you are inconsistent with your ultimatum they just repeat the behavior well it makes me think a lot about parenting and in consequences i mean ultimately you're talking about stating clearly what the consequence of that behavior is and then following through with the mm -hmm. consequence and a lot of times i think parents they state okay, here's the ultimatum or here's the consequence, but then they don't follow through with it. And then it leads to a lot of frustration in, in terms of parenting. Can you talk about boundaries with kids, both how you set boundaries as a parent, but also how you're teaching? I know you're a mom to two young girls and mm -hmm. I think listeners will want to know, how is she teaching her kids to set boundaries with others? How are my kids teaching me, um, teaching me about boundaries? <laughs> <laughs> they're setting boundaries with me. I have a four-year-old who um, she likes to dress herself. She likes to have her own unique style. And if I try to put her on jeans, she's like, no, I'm not wearing jeans. Kick, 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 kick. I only want to wear leggings. So she is showing me her boundaries around what feels good on her bodies. And, and, and I honor that. Uh, because I don't, I don't, there's no rule that you have to wear jeans. There's no rule. There's no law. It's, you know, it may be my preference, but I think that it, as long as you have on pants when it's cold outside, I don't care what they're made of. Um, so we're not going to do an ego trip thing here. So if you want to wear leggings, have at it. And I think sometimes because we are parents and because we are adults, we will try to make the kids do things that aren't even really important to us. I really don't care what type of pant material she wears. I don't. 
Now, there are things that are important. You can't just eat candy all day. You know, that could be a very clear boundary. But there are some other things where it's like, this is not a situation where I really want to exercise the boundary uh, because it's it's not life changing. It's not going to move anything here. But if you eat candy all day, yes, you will have a cavity. There is an issue um, with eating candy. So being really clear about what is a healthy boundary with kids and what are things that we're just doing because that's what we were taught. What things do we need to get up, get rid of? Because it really, it, it, it doesn't apply to the kid or it just doesn't matter. Um, with kids, I think they have their own unique set of boundaries and we should really encourage them to have that. I am very um, aware of kids saying things like, I don't want to hug you. I don't want to kiss this person and that sort of stuff. Okay. You don't have to. I don't want to teach you that when you feel uncomfortable in your body doing something that you have to do it anyway. That's not a message you're going to get from me. So if you don't want to hug cousin so-and-so or auntie, you don't have to. And I hope that they don't take it personal, but you don't have to do that because you should be able to, to show affection when you want to, when it comes naturally. And most times kids do, right? And so just allowing them to have those boundaries of personal space, having the boundary of being able to say things without being punished for speaking up is really important. But uh, yeah, I think with kids, uh, one of my biggest boundaries as a parent is bedtime. Like we are so like, hey, seven o'clock, that's, you know, because I'm like, I am not anybody's mama at nine o'clock. It's because you're waking up at five. <laughs> you're setting your boundary with yourself. So you got to set it with your kids. Yeah. At nine o'clock, I am not a mama. <laughs> like I am, I'm going to listen to some music. I'm getting ready for whatever I'm doing. It's like, it, be sleep. <laughs> you know, like I need that time to recharge because I have given so much throughout the day that this is now my time. It's healthy for us to have this separation. Um, and I think, you know, it, it depends on, you know, where you are, what your boundaries are as a parent. That's not a, you know, a rule that everybody should follow. But I think that, you know, you have to figure out what your rhythm is. Um, and as a parent, it is important to have those boundaries. And it, it makes kids feel safe. It makes them feel safe to know that you care enough to say, this is, this is healthy for you. This is unhealthy for you. Hey, too much TV time. Let's go play. Like it, it feels like, wow, someone loves and cares for me enough. Maybe not in those moments when they're having a tantrum about not being able to do the thing. But in hindsight, they will be able to see that I was loved in a very structured way. Yeah, the boundaries are really the ultimate form of love with your children. And in so many ways, there's these long-term benefits that will trickle down from that. Everything from protective factors, from abuse, from others, both as children, but later on as they become young adults, how to set their boundaries and limits around that to their own sense of um, clarity around listening to their bodies and their own needs and not having to listen to other things outside of them to tell them what's right for them because you're already fostering that as children by you listening to them. That's really beautiful. Yeah, I remember when my kids were babies and you feed them and you could touch their stomach and you could feel it like heart, like, okay, they've had enough. As they get older, we don't have that anymore, right? Like, you can't tell if you've had too much food. I have to go off what you say. So if you say, I'm full, I'm like, okay, stop eating. 
I don't want you to eat beyond, you know, your hungry point. So just really teaching you how to be intuitive about what your needs are, because I don't know. And so I have to trust that, you know, when you've had enough. So really teaching them the skills around, you know, your body better than me. If you know, if you say your nose hurts, then it hurts. I can't say, oh, no, you know, your body. So I'm going to turn the tables a little bit and say, okay, so what about setting boundaries with parents? Because you talk about, uh, you become, I think you wrote, you become an adult when you set boundaries with your parents. And that's one of the areas that no matter how old you are, it is hard. It is hard. I'm a 42 year old woman. I still have a hard time doing it. So how do we set boundaries in, with our parents or our in-laws? What, the, what does a healthy boundary look like in that area? Yes. So the, the challenge with parents is we used to be their kids. And so we still have that like floating authority over our heads. Like, this is my mom. She can tell me to go to bed. No, she can't. I'm 42. You know, so you have to remember that you're an adult too. And that's a part of becoming adult, really learning how to build that adult connection with your parents and not being a child anymore, but being their child. So I am your child, but I'm not a child. And so because we are both adults, there will be some different rules of engagement. When I was 12, all of that made sense. But now at 42, these are the things that we are deciding to do in my home, in your home. You had your own rules and these are the rules for my home. And that's, you know, that is a process that happens, that unfolds over years with your parents, like as things come up, when you get married, when you have kids, when, you know, you're introduced to, you know, these extended family dynamics, things are continuously unfolding, but know that you have a right to have boundaries in any relationships. And and because you can have one in any relationship, that also means with your parents. Yeah. Okay, another area of boundaries that I see a lot in my practice more than ever is boundaries with technology. And here you are, an Instagram guru. You have a lot of followers that are connecting with you through Instagram. So there's lots of benefits to technology and being engaged in this way. But then we also need to set our own boundaries with it. So what do you suggest for your clients that maybe find themselves using more than they want to? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, phones have developed so many beautiful technologies around um, limiting the time that you use on these things. I know within Instagram, they have like a a timer and you could say, you know, I want to use it for an hour and a half and then it'll pop up and say, you'll have five minutes left. Um, And then it'll, you know, kind of let you know you're out of time for the day. And then on the iPhone, they have it where they will cut the app off completely after a certain amount of time. Now, here's the thing. We are humans and we can always bypass that, right? Like, no, I'm not ready to quit. Um, (laughs) So what's typically helpful is limiting your exposure to something. So if you could sleep with your phone outside your room and limit your um, ability to wake up and get right on your phone, if you can have a few hours in the day where you like have your phone in another room or you keep it on the charger so you're not as engaged on the phone. If you could make some rules around like when I'm eating dinner, when I'm talking to other people, like these sorts of things that these are, you know, no phone times, that could be really helpful. And I think ultimately 
figuring out what you're getting from spending um, whatever amount of time on um, on social media, because sometimes it is connection because it is like a texting thing. Now all your friends are on there. So you're DMing them, you're sending them pictures. So it is like a communication thing and that is okay. So figure out what limit works for you. Do you even need a limit? Because everyone does it. And I am a huge proponent of curating a feed that really speaks to what you need. I didn't realize that rhymed until now, but <laughs> that was very Dr. Seuss of me. But uh, but yes, curating a fee that is representative of what you want, because sometimes we have a lot of things that we follow and they're just sucking our energy like, oh, my gosh, why did they post it? Or I hate this person. It's like, OK, unfollow, mute, do whatever you need to do. So when you look at your Instagram fee, it's like, this is stuff I want to see. This is stuff that fills me up. This lights me up. It's not all of this negative stuff. So being really conscious about what you're following um, and not just following stuff. And I know that's really hard. In the book, I talk about you know, like your coworkers saying like, what's your social media handle? <laughs> like those, those situations where it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to follow you. And, and, you know, maybe saying something like, uh, let me give you my number and say it so we can, you know, we can kind of fire off some text back and forth about something. So really, you know, changing the topic a little bit and giving them some information, but maybe not that because there are some people we just don't want to follow them. And, you know, when we don't, it could be seen as offensive. It could be seen as something that's like, what does this mean? Why does and it's really personal. I personally, I like to look at very specific things and sometimes only a certain amount of those things. Like I love being a therapist. I love following therapist accounts. Do I need to follow 500? No. <laughs> you know, if I could find a good, you know, 10, I'm like, okay, that's good. You know, for me, it's about ratio. Like I like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And that is a beautiful feed for me. So figuring out what works for you and what doesn't. Just looking through your your list of folks that you follow and saying like, I feel good when I see this. I don't feel good when I see this. And and using that information accordingly could be very helpful. It's sort of like how I stock my kitchen, right? So if I have certain things available in my kitchen, then my kids are going to eat them. And it's up to me as to whether or not I'm, I'm the one that's purchasing the food. So what am I going to purchase in my kitchen that my, that my kids have healthy snacks, there's fun snacks, there's a variety of snacks, but they're all things that I feel good about at the end of the day, them having available. And I think that, yes, there's an element. I love that example of, of maybe having to say no to following someone, but you're setting a boundary there and it's uncomfortable to set boundaries sometimes, but the benefit to you in the long run is worth it. And, and I think with technology playing such a big role in our lives now, we need to get clearer around what our values are, are around technology. And just the same way we do with our shopping lists or what shows we watch, we can make choices that are beneficial to us. So I love that. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, I certainly uh, have enjoyed, I was mentioning to you, I just joined Instagram. I'm like the last person ever to come over to this world just like three months ago. And I have found reading your posts to be incredibly inspiring 
and have a different quality. It's a, I get a different feeling in my body. I can hear your voice for one, because I've heard you now, but, it, but when I read them, I feel something different. I feel empowered. I feel clear. And then I'm able to use what I've learned from you, maybe in a session with a client, maybe with a friend, maybe it's a boundary I need to set with myself right now. And for me, that's a good use of my time to read this. Whereas there's other things on there that I can feel myself going down into negative spiraling. And that's not a good use of my time. So if we listen in, our bodies will tell us uh, where to go with that. Yeah. What's interesting is I started using Instagram about three years ago when I created this account. Prior to this, I think I had Instagram, but I didn't actually have it on my phone. Like I would put it on there. Look, somebody say, hey, I posted a picture. I'd look at the picture and take the app back off my phone because I didn't really like Instagram. Um, And then when I started using it professionally, um, I, I, I thought there is good to be had in this space. And my biggest fear around it was what I heard from my friends, from my clients and, you know, just stories I read about, oh, you can be more depressed and all of this stuff. And I said, you know, I don't think it has to be that. I think it can be a space where people are getting some wellness stuff. They're learning more about stuff, but that content has to be created. And so we have to, you know, use the space for what we need. And sometimes, you know, maybe we need to find a new pair of shoes. Sometimes we need to figure out a new hairstyle. And so just making sure that it you are using it for what you need is such a helpful way to look at social media. Yeah. Thank you. And thank you for all your free offerings in that domain. It's a lot of work. I know you're putting out there. You're welcome. So As we close up, I I guess I have one last question for you, which is um, just more of like in a a personal realm of how boundary setting for you has changed your life and what are your hopes for others based on what you've learned about boundaries for yourself? Yeah, I'm still learning. I'm still learning. And I think that is the biggest thing that I've learned that I'm still learning, like as situation comes up, it requires new boundaries. So it's not like you get to this space where you're like, I am the all knowing of boundaries. It's like, no stuff still comes up. And I have to think about like, oh, is this aggressive? Is this assertive? Ooh, am I being rigid here? And just being open to the process of continuously practicing boundaries. That has been the biggest thing for me because with so many things, it's like you want to master it and we can't master something that's a practice and boundaries are a practice. Beautiful. Thank you, Nadra. It's been such a pleasure to have you on and I hope that everyone will check out your book, Set Boundaries, Find Peace, and also check out your Instagram account at Nedra Tawab. And it's just a treat to have you here. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Psychologists Off the Clock. If you enjoy our podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or contributing on Patreon. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd like to thank our strategic consultant, Michael Harold, and our interns, Katie Rothfelder and Melissa Miller. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you're having a mental health emergency, dial 911. If you're looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources page of our webpage, offtheclockpsych.com.